missed that. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we're, we're working on it. We're working on getting back to regular scheduling. I think it'll get better. We keep saying that. <sighs> we, we are getting better, though. Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And my name is Steve, and I am back from Chicago. And I, we went to the movies last night, and I would like to personally extend my condolences to oh, no, anyone no, no. who has been victimized by movie screenwriters and filmmakers this October. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Steve, don't Steve even is one of the ones that was personally victimized, and we are still in recovery. So don't even give. I'm not, not even going to give a spoiler. Alert I'm on not, this one. but if you if you know, you know. And I am very. I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So yeah. So despite our best efforts, a quick trip for me came up to Chicago which Your kind of job interfered keeps in with, the way. Yeah, my job, my day job just keeps getting in in my way of the podcast. As far as I'm concerned, there's only one solution. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen right now. <laughs> so, anyway, here we are. And what are we talking about this week, Kim? Well, if you've ever visited San Francisco and visited the Rock, you know about Alcatraz Island, the abandoned federal federal pen now turned national park. You can visit the prison and tour it if you didn't know. And honestly, it's a really good tour. You have to catch a boat from San Francisco, obviously. Um, and you get off on Alcatraz at the very same dock the inmates did. Now, of course, we are um, right smack dab in the midst of spooky October. So fear not. There are ghosts on the way. But we did want to cover um, a little bit more about Alcatraz, first of all. So uh, just a little bit of background. You can take a tour. You get off right where the inmates did and you kind of stand where they stood. Yeah. So we, we, we've, we've been to San Francisco. We did the self-guided tour and we did it. The self-guided tours where you rent the headphones and you listen to stories and it just directs you go here, go there. And it's very, very simple. You didn't get lost. Yeah. You stayed right where you're supposed to go. But I like the self-guided tour because as you walk from like point A to point B, they played prison sounds. Mm-hmm. You hear all the you heard all the background chatter and all the noise and stuff like that and clanging and some yelling and stuff like that, which really added to the tour. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, now it was whew, twelve years ago. No, ten years ago, roughly ten years ago now that we took that tour. Um, and why are you shaking your head at me? Because it was like 17 years ago. No, we took the tour of Alcatraz when we went to go get our eldest granddaughter, and she just turned 13, okay. and she was two. So anyway, um, what I really thought was cool, too, in addition to all of the clanging and background noises and all of that, was that they had interviews with former convicts who had been at Alcatraz for um, and it wasn't guys that were there for like murder or something like serious like that, but they they sought them out and they had them tell. Um, they kind of actually, it seems like a lot of the tour was their stories. Oh my goodness! If you were at Alcatraz, you were there for a reason. So when well, you say is like, well, they weren't there for nothing bad. 
I mean, yes, but okay. I don't. I don't think the people that they interviewed were murderers and stuff. They might have. I'm sure they Bank were there. Bank robbers for, or yeah, something. Yeah, like okay. it wasn't. A, like they didn't take somebody's life. They weren't rapists. They weren't murderers. They were in for what we would consider. Not, I don't want to say uh, less violent crimes, you know, bank robberies where nobody got shot or anything. They just stole a bunch of money. <laughs> so. I'm sitting here shaking my head, <laughs> but go ahead, Kim. <laughs> All right. Anyway, when we decided to do prisons for a spooky October, Alcatraz fit the bill, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it. Um, and just the view alone can be kind of spooky because through the San Francisco va- fog, which is kind of always there. Um, there's an infamous quote from Mark Twain that said, the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. And that's accurate. It's it's always foggy in the bay. There's always a wind coming off. Um, it's, it's not, there's, my nightmare fuel is seagulls, which are always flying around the whole island. And it's, it's a little, it's spooky. I bet more than one prisoner riding that boat over from San from San Francisco, thought it was a creepy place. I oh, mean, if I'm you're sure. standing there like in your cuffs and shackled up like they were, and you're looking over there at the rock, yeah, I, I mean, bet you they were a little bit creeped out. Yeah, it had a reputation. It wasn't called the rock for nothing. In fact, Native Americans called it Evil Island, believing it was cursed. Yeah, I mean, it it's a place, all right. I mean, uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of history of all the places that. in the world. Alcatraz is one of them. Yeah, it's, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Okay, quit making fun of me. It okay, was for funny my, for my choice of words. So anyway, we divided this episode into two parts. I took the history part, surprise, and Kim <laughs> took the part covering the haunted side of Alcatraz Island. I don't shocking. think it's yeah shocking. <laughs> So let me go ahead, and I'm just going to go ahead, and I'm going to jump into the story of Haunted Alcatraz. And I have to be careful, because since you're going first, I know the way that you work, and you're going to be keeping track of the number of times I interrupt you, and I'm going to face the wrath when it's my turn. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so Alcatraz Island is located in San Francisco Bay, about 1.25 miles offshore from, from San Francisco, California. The name... Alcatraz is derived from the Spanish Alcatraces. In 1775, the Spanish explorer Juan Manuel de la Ala was the first to sail into what is now known as San Francisco Bay. His expedition mapped the bay and named the one of the three islands La Isla de los Alcatraces, which translates into the island of the Gannets. But it is commonly believed to translate as the island of the pelicans. The mon- modern Spanish word for pelican is pelicano, which is from Old Spanish Alcatraz, meaning pelican. There are no gannets native to the Pacific coast, making the older Spanish usage much more likely. I don't even know what a gannet is. It's a bird. I mean, I know that, but <laughs> I don't know what it looks like. It's, it's a little brown bird. Okay, so over time, and I know that because I I Googled it, (laughs) over time, the name was kind of uh, morphed into Alcatraz. While the exact meaning is still debated, Alcatraz is usually defined as meaning pelican or strange bird. I'd say there's some strange birds out at Alcatraz. Yeah, well, you don't like the seagulls, so... I don't. So... And I just happened to read there's over 5,000 nesting birds on the island. Ugh. 
which there was a lot of bird poop all over there, the place oh out there. Oh my gosh, so okay, much. Yeah. So in August 1827, French Captain Auguste Bernard de Hautsilly wrote, running past Alcatraz or Pelican Island covered with a countless number of these birds, they fired a gun over the feathered legions, caused them to fly up in a great cloud with a noise like a hurricane. So there were lots and lots of pelicans and birds out there, mostly at that time the pelicans, and they just, they're big birds. They are big. They're big birds. I like you know, pelicans. At, they seem pretty friendly. Yeah, at that time there were um, the California brown pelican, which is a little bit smaller than the white the white pelican. The white pelican has a wingspan that can get up over nine feet. Really? Yeah, so you get all those pelicans and they take off. It can, that's a lot of birds. That's a lot of bird, too. Yeah. But as of today, because of a lot of reasons and environmental and uh, DDT, the California brown pelican, there are no, there's no uh, nesting brown pelicans there. Now, the good news is the brown pelican has made its way back, and there's plenty of them. They're no longer on the endangered species list, but oh, they're, just, they're just none nesting. They just don't on, like it there. They're, yeah. They're, well, because it's haunted. No, oh, well, yeah. obviously. So the Spanish, they had built uh, several small buildings on the island, and they built some other small structures. The earliest recorded private owner of the island of Alcatraz is Julian Workman, to whom it was given by the Mexican governor, Pio Pica, in June 1846, with the understanding that Workman would build a lighthouse on the island. Ooh, and that lighthouse is going to come in later. Yeah, well... It just so happens that Julian Workman was a personal friend of the Mexican president or the Mexican governor. Later in 1846, acting in his capacity as military governor of California, John C. Fremont brought the, bought the island for $5,000 in the name of the United States government from Francis Temple. So apparently Temple acquired the island from Workman very early on after uh, Workman had acquired the island from his friend. Uh, I wish we could buy an island for $5,000. I wish we could be gifted the island well, I mean, like I'll Workman was. Yeah. So, yeah. In 1850, President Millard Fillmore ordered that Alcatraz Island be set aside specifically as the United States military reservation for military purposes based upon the U.S. acquisition of California from Mexico following the Mexican-American War. Fremont, now this this is kind of a haunted story right here in itself, but Fremont had expected a large payout for his initiative in purchasing and securing Alcatraz Island for the United States, but the government later invalidated the sale and paid Fremont absolutely nothing and just took the island. That's the United States government for you. Just annexing everything. Oh, there, there, there's a conspiracy theory in here somewhere. So Fremont and his heirs sued for compensation during uh, protracted but unsuccessful legal battles that extended all the way up until the 1890s. That's what, 20, 20 some odd years? This happened in the 70s? Oh, no. Longer in the 50s? Yeah, Holy longer, cow. Longer it's like 40 years. Yeah. The California gold rush was the big boom in the growth of San Francisco and the need to protect San Francisco Bay, led by the U.S. Army to build a citadel or a fortress at the top of the island in the early 1850s. When the American Civil War broke out in 1861, the island mounted 85 cannons, which was later increased to 105 cannons by 1866, encasements that 
around the perimeter. Though the small size of the garrison or the, the island meant only a fraction of the guns could be used at any one time. So they obviously weren't all out there at one I time. I wonder, so um, what would happen if, do you know, like as an engineer, as a former military engineer, what would happen if they fired off too many cannons? Would it like cause sort that of was, an earthquake? No, that, was, that like wasn't a, a problem. It was just physically fitting them in there. Oh, so when okay. they say the garrison, it wasn't like... I kind of misspoke. It wasn't the whole island. It was oh, just, okay. Gotcha. Just like, you know, they can only put so many cannons per square foot. Uh, I see. Okay. Okay. At this time, it also served as San Francisco Arsenal for the storage of firearms to prevent them from falling into the hands of Confederate sympathizers. So that kind of struck me because I thought, well, how many Confederate sympathizers were in California? So I had to look this up and do a little research and it turns out there was really a large group of Confederate sympathizers in California during the Civil War. Um, That's really interesting because yeah. you don't really think of it. You think of it, well, uh, at I least I do. I kind of think of it as like the Wild West, and you don't think of... Well, it was a state by this time. I guess... There was a lot of Wild West between the Mississippi River and California, but California was a state because they... Sure. They but, turned into state because of the gold. Right. Okay. Well, to make a long story short on the topic of why there are so many Confederate sympathizers in California, it's because of the gold rush that many of the gold seekers from the southern states brought their slaves with them to California to work work their gold. It's estimated that there were around or up to 1,500 slaves in California, even though California was a free state. Now, there's a lot more of this story that we could get into without... But I don't want to detract from Alcatraz. But up to um, one observer was quoted as saying, California was as southern as Mississippi because not only the slaves, but the officials who ended up making their way into the office. So there was a little political, a real political slant that okay, aligned with the southern states. I'm just going to put this out there into the world. You guys need to hold us accountable for this because I want to cover this on a future episode. I had no idea. And clearly you didn't either because you didn't. You no, I, go, I didn't realize they, it was so much. I, I've never, if you've ever, if you knew this, that there were a lot of Confederate sympathizers and that slavery was a big thing in California during the Civil War, um, you know, we would, please let us know. But I would love to cover this in a future episode because I've never been taught that in history class. Yeah. So... Together with Fort Point, I'll write that down. So together with Fort Point and Lime Point, Alcatraz formed a triangle of defense designated to protect the entrance to the bay. The island was also the site of the first operational lighthouse on the west coast, as was supposed to be, of the United States. Because of the isolation created by the cold, strong, tremendous currents of the waters of San Francisco Bay, there's a, there's a lot of tide that moves in and out of the bay, and that's where these currents come from. Alcatraz was used to house soldiers convicted of crimes as early as 1859. Hmm. By 1861, the fort was the military prison for the Department of the Pacific. It housed Civil War prisoners as early as that year. Starting in 1863, the military also held private citizens accused of treason after the writ of habeas corpus in the United States was suspended. Hundreds of troops were trained, trained on the island with more than 350 military personnel in place 
by April 1861. And this is in addition to the prisoners. Yeah, I don't know exactly. I couldn't see exactly how many prisoners were there. Yeah. But they were housing some prisoners there. Yeah, that would be... It's interesting to me that during the Civil War, um, it seems like a lot of prisoners were housed in, um, like, situations like this. Like, um, Lake Erie, I think, had a prison... Johnson's Island. Yeah, Johnson's Island. They they like to put the Civil War prisoners on cold, windy islands in the Civil War. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of other uh, prison camps, too. Mm-hmm. That, uh, oh, sure. Chica- I mean, Chicago yeah. had prison camps. See? They yeah. put them in crappy places where the wind blows through and it gets cold and there's wet and rain and it's not water. Called the, and- <laughs> it's not called the Windy City for nothing. Yeah. Okay. So, as enlistees were assigned to units, new green troops reported for training. Well, you know, it makes sense because they're from the South. You that put them up where sense. it's cold. Yeah, that's a good point. They're not thinking, well, you know what? I'd be thinking like, you know what? It's a whole lot warmer down in Mississippi than it is here in Chicago. Yeah, see, I that feel would, like... See, that would make me want to escape even more. Oh, yeah, but I don't know, though. I could see it going... I do. I know from... I'm speaking for me. <laughs> I could see it going both ways. I feel like we could handle... Being native Ohioans, we're, we're a little bit of a, a tougher breed. We could handle those windy, cold winters in a prison it, camp. It gets cold in Chicago. Uh, it get, Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lake effect snow is real. As enlistees were assigned to units, New Green Troops reported for training. In early 1865, the number of men reached 433 at the peak of the war. That's troops. Troops. Not prisoners. Okay. Yes. Well, Alcatraz wasn't needed so much for defensive purposes over time, it kind of diminished. The island's guns were actually never even fired in battle because there were... Against what? I think there were some raids in California, but they never attacked Alcatraz. Yeah, interesting. Or or no Confederate ships tried to sail into San Francisco Harbor. Hmm. But anyway, its role as a prison would continue for more than 100 years. In 1909, the Army tore down the Citadel leaving its basement level to serve as the foundation for a new military prison. From 1909 through 1911, the military prisoners on Alcatraz built the new prison, which was designated the Pacific Branch of the United States Disciplinary Barracks for the United States Army. The other one, the United States Disciplinary Barracks, the the original one is at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. That's adding insult to injury. You have to build your own prison that you're that's going to be housing you. Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I would, like, leave some yeah, loose stones, right. okay? It was this prison building that later became the famous rock, the rock. The United States Army used the island for more than 80 years, from 1850 until 1933, when the island was transferred to the United States Department of Justice for use by the Federal Bureau of Prisons. The federal government had decided to open a maximum security minimum privilege penitentiary to deal with the most incorrigible inmates in the federal prison. So there goes your theory of, oh, they weren't all the bad guys. These were the the, the worst of the worst that they oh. put there, the ones that couldn't be... Um, like I said, it was a long time ago. Mem- okay. Memory does not serve me well. Yeah. And, okay, so they built it out there to house the incorrigible inmates from the other federal prisons and to show the law-abiding public that the federal government was serious about stopping the rampant crime of the 1920s and 1930s. And we've covered this in our oh, prohibition, prohibition and prohibition, prohibition yeah. episodes. Um, 
It's but really, we didn't really cover outlaws, which is maybe something at one point we will need to get into some of these gangsters because yeah. we kind of started like a U.S. history thing and we worked our way up just short it. of the Civil War. Yeah. 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 So at 9.40 a.m. on the August 11th, 1934, the first batch of 137 prisoners arrived at Alcatraz. They arrived by railroad from the United States Penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas, which we said the disciplinary barracks is there, but also the federal penitentiary is there. There are a lot of prisons around Leavenworth, Kansas. That's like prison is like one of the big industries huh, around I Leavenworth. Why. Yeah, I, I don't There's know. There's not really a whole lot else there. Well, I th- I, there, there are good reasons. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, um, they arrived from Leavenworth, Kansas to Santa Venetia, California. They were escorted to Alcatraz while handcuffed in high-security coaches and guarded by 60 special FBI agents, United States Marshals, and railway security officials. Most of the prisoners were were notorious bank robbers and murderers. The prison initially had a staff of 155, including the first warden, James A. Johnston, and associate warden, J.E. Shuttleworth, both both considered to be Iron Men. The staff were highly trained in security, but not so much in rehabilitation. That wasn't now, the goal. I, I worked at uh, at one of the Ohio prisons. I was in charge of the maintenance there. And we had to go through prison school before we were allowed to go work. And I forget the exact number of, I mean, everyone wants to be all hardcore. You know, you're sit there for punishment. But it's it's a high number. It's like 80% of the inmates are going to get released back in the public. Right. So it's really in the public's best interest to rehabilitate, rehabilitate, train a job skill so when these people are released from prison, they they can go out and have a chance of being but productive citizens. These were the worst of the worst. So they probably weren't going to get out of prison, right? No. They were kind of being sent out of sight, out of mind. No. Oh. They were sent there as... I'm failing at this you're, you're, <laughs> this week. You're failing at this one. Okay. <laughs> no. And we'll cover that here in a little bit. Okay. So, like I said, the, the staff, they were highly trained in security, but not so much in rehabilitation. During the 29 years it was in use, the prison held some of the most notorious criminals in American history, who included gangsters such as Al Capone, Robert Franklin Stroud, the Birdman of Alcatraz, you probably know him as, mm. George Machine Gun Kelly. The gangsters back then had cool names. Listen, <laughs> Bumpy Johnson. It held political terrorist Rafael Canso Miranda, who was a member of the Puerto Rico Nationalist Party who attacked the United States Capitol building in 1954, and others, Mickey Cohen, Arthur R. Doc Barker, which, you know, we commonly known as Ma, you know, Ma Barker oh. gang, yeah, and Alvin Creepy Carpus, who Carpus served more time in Alcatraz than any other inmate. Interesting. It also provided housing for the Bureau of Prison staff and their families. The Could you average, imagine being a little kid growing up on Alcatraz? Well, the, that one lady was there. She was like the warden's daughter. We we met her. She came out and she talked. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, she Ugh. she talked about growing up and, and like, like playing ball with the inmates and stuff. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. The average population was only about 260 to 275. The prison never once reached, never once, listen to me, never once reached its capacity of 336 at any given time. 
Alcatraz held less than 1% of the total federal prison population. Well, it was tiny. Many prisoners actually considered the living conditions on Alcatraz as to be better than the other federal prisons. For, <laughs> for like for one example was they lived in one man cells on Alcatraz and they didn't have to share cells. Yeah, that's a luxury. Like at the other yeah. Several inmates actually transfer requested to transfer to Alcatraz. But while the United States Penitentiary Alcatraz was not the United States' uh, America's Devil's Island like the French had, uh, like, but, and that's how it's portrayed. It's so bad. Yeah. It was yeah. designed to be well, a prison system's prison. So like right now, a lot of our prisons, you know, we watch the prison shows. It's like ADSEG. So like you do bad in prison, they send you to ADSEG. But if you keep doing bad, they'd send you to Alcatraz. Yes, and although it may not, it may not have necessarily been as bad. But D Block, we're gonna get into D Block in a little bit. It it was pretty bad. Oh yeah, there were but some if you, pretty if you, like. But if you whoa. but if you went there, you minded your and we'll cover like what privileges were. Yeah, I'll cover some of that. You just went there, did your time, kept your nose clean, didn't, kept good. your nose clean. You're good. You had a private cell. Sooner or later, you're getting out. There you go. So, also, if, a, if you choose to commit a crime, that's a good uh, rule of thumb today, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if a man did not behave at another institution, and he he could be sent to Alcatraz, where the highly structured, monotonous daily routine was designed to teach an inmate to follow rules and regulations. There's so your, it was like prison for prison rehabilitation, right there. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> So I read through the daily routines and the prison rules, and just to highlight one of them, there's, I, we, we didn't have time to, to do them all. Best I can count, there were 12 counts every day to where the prisoners had to stand and be counted to make sure that no one escaped off the rock. Hmm. At Alcatraz, a prisoner had four rights, food, clothing, shelter, and medical care. Everything else was a privilege that had to be earned. Some privileges a prisoner could earn included working, corresponding and having visits with the family members, access to the prison library, and recreational activities such as painting and music. I never really thought about prison like visits from family because it is out on an island and you do have to take the boat, but I guess some of the workers probably lived on the mainland and they had to take the boat to get to work every day. Yeah. I, I mean, never really were, thought about that. Well, there's a lot of boats back, yeah. and, back and forth. So never thought about that. Interesting. Yeah. And I'll explain that too <laughs> here in a little bit, why there were so many boats. Once prison officials felt a man no longer posed a threat and could follow the rules, usually after an average of five years on Alca- Alcatraz, he could be transferred back to another federal prison to finish his sentence and be released. Yikes. Yeah. So, I mean, not everyone was there for a life sentence. Right. It, you know, you weren't sent there for death. Mm. During its 29 years of operation, the penitentiary claimed that no prisoners successfully es- escaped. A total of 36 prisoners made 14 escape attempts. Two men, I bet a lot more guys thought about it. Mm-hmm. Two men trying twice, 23 were caught alive, six were shot and killed during their escape. Two drowned, and five are listed as missing and presumed drowned. The most violent incident occurred on March 2, 1946, when a failed escape attempt by six prisoners led to the Battle of Alcatraz. 
So the Battle of Alcatraz, which lasted from May 2nd to May 4th, 1946, was the result of an unsuccessful escape attempt by armed convicts. Two Federal Bureau of Prisons officers, William A. Miller and Harold Stites, were killed. Miller by one of the inmates who attempted escape and Stites by friendly fire, along with three of the uh, perpetrators. Fourteen other officers and one uninvolved convict were also injured. Oh, go figure. He's the uninvolved convict. He's just trying to mind his own business, do his just time. Try, just trying to get us back to another uh, oh, another prison. That sucks. Two of the inmates were later execute, executed in the gas chamber at California's uh, state prison at San Quentin. Perhaps the most famous um, and complicated escape was carried out on June 11th, 1962, by Frank Morris, John Anglin, and his brother, Clarence Anglin. Escape from Alcatraz. Maybe you've seen the movie Escape from Alcatraz, Mm -hmm. which I actually enjoyed that movie. It starred Clint Eastwood, and uh, that's one of the more famous movies about Alcatraz. But you know what? I also like the movie The Rock with Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery, and that movie takes place after the prison's abandoned, yeah, that was and, a good movie. Yeah, I like that one. But I you know what I like Nicholas Cage though when he's the whip puppy. Oh, Nick before he got weird. Yes. Um, but there's also if you're interested in this story, the the Anglin brothers and Frank Morris, um, if you search online, there are there have been several really interesting documentaries and things about it. Um, and I know I've seen some like on the Discovery Channel about yeah. They, they think they're living in South America. Yeah. Yeah. And they have some pretty good evidence because one of their mothers gets um, like it's a flower and, stuff. and yeah. they get postcards and a crew went down. I think it was the Discovery Channel went yeah. down there and there was like a picture and they were able to match the picture up with the with with the but mountainside they, and stuff like that. So They never escaped. But officially they never <laughs> escaped. Yeah. So who knows? I mean... Did Hitler actually make it to, uh, oh, to South America? Oh, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, that's a whole other story. But, I mean, if you take the Discovery Channel and what they present at face value, it would appear that they did make it out. I Listen, okay. that's my belief. Yeah. Whether or not anyone succeeded in escaping from Alcatraz depends on the definition of successful escape. Like everything else, nothing is as it seems. I just asked Bill Clinton what the definition of is is. If getting out of the cell house, reaching the water, making it to land, or reaching land and not getting caught. Officially, no one ever succeeded in escaping from Alcatraz, although to this day, there are five prisoners listed as missing and presumed drowned. So there's five unaccounted for that they just can't. And I think that the other two prisoners were, they did find evidence that is pretty safe to assume that they did drown. Like they found their clothes washed up, like on Alcatraz, not on the Bay Area. Or like there were some, some of their personal effects or something like that. Like the other two prisoners, I think I read that somewhere. Yeah, I think we need to watch that show again. Yeah. One of the many myths, though, about Alcatraz is that it was impossible to survive a swim from the island to mainland because of the sharks. And mm. f- the truth is, there are no man-eating sharks in San Francisco Bay, only small bottom-feeding sharks. Now, the main obstacle, and you, you were talking about this a little bit earlier, the main obstacle were the cold temperatures of the San Francisco Bay. They averaged like 
50 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Oof. Okay, that's cold. That's really cold. That's really cold. I mean, you your body temperature is 96.8. For the no, 98.6 for the most part. When you get down into 50, 55, you, 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 you don't survive very long. You, yeah, you have to be prepared for it. Yeah. The strong currents and the distance to shore are also the Yeah, the, it's the a obstacles. mile and a quarter. Yeah, it's a mile and a quarter, 1.25 miles. Prior to the federal institution opening in 1934, though, a teenage girl swam to the island to prove it was possible. If you... Some people may remember uh, the fitness guy, Jack LaLanne. He once swam to the island pulling a rowboat. And several years ago, two 10-year-old children also made the swim. So if a person is well-trained, well-conditioned, it's possible to survive the cold waters and the fast currents of San Francisco Bay. However, for prisoners, you gotta, you got to consider yeah. who had no control over their diet, no weightlifting or physical training other than sit-ups and push-ups, with no knowledge of um, the tides and when all that was going on, I, but of course, if they go out on you know wreck, they they can watch the tides. Oh sure, and kind of figure out when it's coming in, and when it's going out. And you can get pretty strong doing push ups and sit ups. Yeah, yeah, you can. But it takes that fuel. Yeah. The oh yeah, food they were not prison, fed super prison, great. Yeah, they probably got <laughs> the loaf every now and then yeah. if they weren't acting right. So you know. The odds for success were not in the prisoners' favor. Sure. Yeah. That said, in 1962, prisoner John Paul Scott escaped and made it to the shore of San Francisco. However, upon reaching shore, he was so weary that he was found unconscious by police in a, and in a hypothermic shock. The annual escape from Alcatraz triathlon includes the required swim from the island through 1.5 miles to shore. On March 21st, 1963, the United States Penitentiary Alcatraz closed after 29 years of operation. Now, that was only a year after the escape. Well, a lot of people say it was closed down, and the movie would lead you to believe that it closed down because of the escape and, you know, the warden and all that stuff. Sure. Okay. But um, it didn't close because of Morris and the Anglins escape. The decision to close the prison had already been made long before the three had disappeared. And this is primarily because the, the prison was just so expensive to continue operating. An estimated 3 to $5 million, and you know, we're talking back then, 3 to mm-hmm. $5 million was a lot of money, was needed just for restoration and maintenance to work to keep the prisoners open. You know, those iron bars, the salt water. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And so, you know, these guys are clever. And so, you know, if rusty iron bars. Oh, sure. Just, yeah. Salt yeah. water will wreak havoc yeah. on. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So that figure did not include the daily operating cost. Alcatraz was nearly three times more expensive to operate than any other federal prison. In 1959, the daily per capita cost at Alcatraz was $10.10 per person compared to $3 at other United States penitentiaries. Now, at the wow. prison I worked at, it was... I. Can't quote me, and I'd have to look this up. And this was a couple of years ago. It was about forty dollars, forty or forty-five dollars per inmate per day. Wow. Yeah, but other prisons were like thirty dollars. I feel like forty. That's still kind of expensive. Well, I mean, you got to figure they they calculate in the food. Which sure. they, don't, they don't spend a lot on food, no. but the maintenance of the prison, you have to pay the, fair. you have to pay the, uh, the corrections officers. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
So this right here, we'll go back to you talked about the boats. Mm -hmm. The major expense was caused by the physical isolation of the island. And physical isolation is one of the reasons that islands have been used as prisons throughout history. Like you mentioned, Johnson's Island mm -hmm. up in Sandusky Bay. The isolation meant that everything, the food, the supplies, the water, the fuel, had to be brought to Alcatraz by boat. There was no pipeline for fresh water or anything like that. Mm. Now, just as an example, the island had no source of fresh water. So nearly 1 million gallons of water had to be barged into the island each week. Ooh, can you imagine unloading that? I'm sure a prisoner did it. I, well, probably. I don't know. That's a lot of water. Yeah. The federal government found that it was more cost-effective to build a new institution than to keep Alcatraz open. After the prison closed, Alcatraz was basically abandoned. Many ideas were proposed for the island, including a monument to the United, to the United Nations, a West Coast version of the Statue of Liberty, hmm. and this one, a shopping center hotel complex, which, <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd look at it now, and, okay, so I guess they would have paying customers, so bringing in that million gallons yeah. of water a week would make it, you know, offset the cost. <sighs> but I just keep thinking of all the bird poop was yeah, on that island. So you'd I, have to pay like 100 the, guys to go wash down the, the hotel and yeah. the street every day. Yeah. Yeah. So... In 1969, the island again made news when a group of Native Americans, Native American Indians, claimed Alcatraz as Indian land with the hope of creating a Native American cultural center and education complex on the island. The Indians of all tribes, that was their name, the Indians of all tribes, used their act of civil disobedience to illustrate the troubles faced by Native Americans. Initially, public support for the Native Americans' cause was strong, and thousands of people, which included the general public, school children, celebrities, the hippies of the time, the Vietnam War protesters, the Hells Angels, wow. came to the island over the next 18 months. Unfortunately, the small Native American leadership group could not control the situation, and much damage occurred with graffiti, vandalism, uh, fire, and stuff like that. One fire destroyed the lighthouse keeper's home the warden's home, and the officer's club. And you can still see some of that graffiti yeah. and vandalism today. Yeah. And there's also, to this day, there is a section dedicated to Native Americans mm -hmm. that's there as part of the, the, uh, the national park system. Mm -hmm. In June 1971, federal marshals, marshals removed the remaining Native Americans from the island. In 1972, Congress created the Golden Gate National Recreation Area and Alcatraz Island was included as a part of the new National Park Service unit. Now, I wonder if any of the old inmates think it's now part of a recreation area. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't sound... Yeah. Okay, anyway, the island opened to the public in the fall of 1973 and has become one of the most popular Park Service sites. More than one million visitors from around the world visit the island each year. So there you have the Ooh. history and the story of Alcatraz. Now, just during the federal prison time, we're going to lead, lead Kim in here. Just during the federal prison time, not going back to the Civil War time, a total of eight inmates were murdered by other inmates, five committed suicide, and 15 died of natural causes. So that's a pretty sizable number, pretty sizable population sure. to haunt the prison because it was such a small island. So, I mean, yeah, you take it's not like very big. one person can haunt a house. So you had all these people in this little area. Yeah. So the, the probability of ghosts 
concentration is high. Now, it's often described as a portal to another dimension. Alcatraz is filled. Now I can breathe. <laughs> now you can breathe. Take a sip. Um, Alcatraz is filled with the energy of those who came to the rock and seemingly never left. From its first visitors, tales and legends of the island have circulated for several centuries. Now, as we mentioned, in the beginning, Native Americans believed the island to be inhabited by evil spirits. Um, they called it the evil island. And so as severe punishment for violations of tribal law, the indigenous people were sometimes isolated for a period of time on the island or even banished for life to live among the evil spirits. So that's adding to the to the count. Federal, yeah, yeah, the body count. Yeah, absolutely. Today, these spirits that continue to lurk in the shadows of the often fog and shrouded island have been heard, seen, and felt by both the staff and the many visitors that come to Alcatraz. The sounds of men's voices, screams, whistles, uh, clanging metal doors, and... Drink, drink. <laughs> good try. And I'm trying to do like the... Uh, the headphone tour. I, I get it. Okay. And terrifying screams are said to be heard. You got a terrifying scream? No. <laughs> <laughs> we need Kellen here. Oh, one of the one, one of the, the twins. Twi oh, one of the twins would do it. Give a kid scream. Yeah. A little girl kid scream. Oof. Especially near the dungeon. And there there was a dungeon just like last week. While the island served as a federal penitentiary, a number of guards reported extraordinary experiences, including the hearing the sounds of sobbing and moaning, terrible smells, like beyond terrible smells of like normal inmates smell, and reports of what they called the thing, an entity that was said to appear with glowing eyes. Other reports were made of phantom prisoners and soldiers appearing before... Were they, were they glowing red eyes? I, it might have been Mothman. I'm, I'm thinking Mothman. I'm wondering. Okay. Um, reports were made of phantom prisoners and soldiers appearing before the guards and families who lived on the island. So there you go. I mean, if you're not counting the guys that were there during the Civil War, I'm sure there were some that died then, too. So the soldier prisoners would make sense. Most likely. Yeah. Uh, reportedly, even Warden Johnston, who didn't believe in ghosts, once encountered the unmistakable sounds of a woman sobbing while leading a number of guests on the tour of the prison. The cries heard by not only the warden, but also the guests were described as coming from inside the walls of the dungeon. And just as the sobbing stopped, an icy cold wind blew through the group. So obviously because there were probably not, I don't know of any female prisoners that would have been there. No. Like during the Civil War. So I'm assuming that if this female ghost is real, she's probably one of the indigenous Native Americans that was sent there. Since the 1940s, apparitions have been seen at the site of the now burned out shell of the warden's house. And during a Christmas party at Warden Johnston, several guards told the story of a ghostly man who suddenly appeared before them wearing a gray suit, brimmed cap, and sporting mutton chop sideburns. Okay, now that's Civil War era stuff right there. Now, I'm, wait a minute. I'm wondering, is it maybe just some of these prison guards uh, like, didn't want to work there and like, too much to drink or didn't want to work there and say, you know what? I'd rather be working at Leavenworth or Atlanta. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what what they're, what it was like to work there. I mean, I would think it would not be super fun because these are the worst of the worst. And so they probably were not great to deal with. But at the same time, I don't, you know, I don't know what the warden was like to his 
um, subordinates or anything. I, so I don't know. Anyway, as the startled guards stared at this apparition, the room suddenly turned very cold and the fire in the Ben Franklin stove was extinguished. Less than a minute later, the spirit vanished. Often, it's been reported that on foggy nights, the old lighthouse will suddenly appear, accompanied by an eerie whistling sound and a flashing green light which makes its way slowly around the island. Appearing to both guards and visitors alike, the spectacle vanishes just as suddenly as it appears. Could be a boat because they have red and green lights on the bow. It could be, but if you know much about hauntings and ghosts, um, you will know. And if you don't know, I'm going to educate you. There are a couple of different types of hauntings that are a thing. There are ghosts who are sort of cognizant of what is going on around them. And then there are, I don't remember what the term is, but basically it's sort of like a, a memory, like a, a snapshot in time that kind of keeps replaying itself. Um, you hear about it a lot in like Gettysburg or very violent places where very violent events happened. Uh, so it's interesting and it's a little bit of a different, it's, it's a different kind of a haunting. You can't really interact with those kinds of hauntings. That's like watching a movie almost and just seeing this loop on repeat, which is probably if the lighthouse haunting is a real thing and the lighthouse specter is a real thing, I would imagine that's the type of haunting that it is. It's just kind of a snapshot in time that kind of keeps, don't look at me like that. Like that. He's looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm just saying that this is the speculation of the paranormal community. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. When the prison was still open, other guards told of hearing phantom cannon and gunshots, which Ooh. is really interesting because you said the guns were never fired. That's true. But I guess they, I mean, they probably fired, like test fired them, right? Just probably to make sure so. that yeah, the I mean, cannons were still operational. They, they probably did target practice. Yeah. But that's really interesting that nothing was ever fired in like a war capacity, but they still hear phantom cannon and gunshots accompanied now, by screams. this is why this one's completely bogus because, no, I'm just pulling your leg. No, you're fine. Okay. <laughs> accompanied by, well, this is why I don't believe this one accompanied by screams that were so real. They sent the seasoned guards to the ground, believing the prisoners had somehow escaped and obtained weapons. I, so I'm that calling shenanigans. I, that one I find a little hard to believe after um, most of these, I'm calling <laughs> shenanigans, but go ahead. After taking cover, the guards would then cautiously look about to see absolutely nothing. And these incidents could never be explained, obviously, because they probably never happened. Another often reported experience of the guards was the smell of smoke that often came from a deserted laundry room as if something was on fire. When they went to investigate, the black smoke was so thick that it drove the guards from the room. However, just minutes later, the room was completely smoke-free. Now, now we're going to get into good stuff. It was a drafty prison. Yeah. But now we're going to get into the good stuff. D block is, and even it seems like even when we took the tour, people spoke of D block with like almost a reverence. It was, it's kind of notorious. It's, it's the, it was the hole. It was the hole. So if you think of Alcatraz as the worst of the worst, D block is like the worst of the worst of Alcatraz. So Theoretically, these are the absolute worst criminals in the nation. 
said to have been and continues to be the most haunted block in all the prison. While first built at the same time as the other cell blocks, the Bureau of Prisons appropriated additional money for a more secure D block after the 1939 escape attempt in which Doc Barker was killed. D block, which became in this, the name of it actually is really ominous too, became known as the treatment unit consisted of 42 cells with varying degrees of restrictions for all prisoners incarcerated in D block. There was absolutely no contact with the general population. 36 of the cells were virtually like the others in gen pop. However, inmates were not allowed to work. They weren't allowed to go to the mess hall for meals. They were only allowed one visit to the rec yard and two showers each week. So two showers a week, one hour outside time per week. And all meals were served in the cells. Their only diversion was reading prison approved material. And that's only if they behave themselves and they earned that right. I bet you that was some good stuff. Yeah. These cells all faced the Golden Gate Bridge from which fierce cold winds often blew. One guard who worked on D block was known to turn on the air conditioning to make it even colder for those people confined to the block. Air conditioning? I, for the, I'm calling shenanigans. I don't believe there was any air conditioning on Alcatraz. They didn't need it. Yeah, I don't know. That's what they allege. Maybe that's a euphemism for like he opened the windows. Or maybe he had a fan. Maybe. Something, I don't know. Five of the remaining six cells in D block were known as strip cells, but were more often referred to as the whole. Reserved for the most serious offenders of prison rules, these cells were located on the bottom tier, the coldest place in the prison. They contained only a sink, a toilet, and a low wattage light bulb that could be turned off by the guards. The prisoners' mattresses were taken away during the day. They were not allowed at any time in the yard or showers or given reading material. So you literally had an empty room that you're not allowed out of for any reason. You get a sink, a toilet, and a light bulb. That's it. You get your mattress at bedtime. Other than that, you're just sitting in an empty concrete room. No books, no showers, no yard time. And you could be sensed to this life for as many as 19 consecutive days. Completely isolated and in a state of constant boredom. The last strip cell, known as the Oriental, was the most severe punishment the prison could assign, assuring complete deprivation of all peripheral senses. The dark, steel-encased cell contained no sink or toilet, just a small hole in the floor for prisoner waste. Inmates were placed naked in the cell, given a restricted diet, confined in a totally pitch-black, cold environment, with a hole in the floor, no sink, and although a sleeping mattress was allowed at night, it was removed at dawn each morning. Luckily, I guess, inmates were only, usually, usually, only subject to this degree of punishment for a day or two. Although a former guard who worked in the prison in the 1940s reported that guards often saw the ghostly presence of a man dressed in late 1800s prison attire walking the hallway next to the strip cells. On one occasion, when an inmate was locked in the hole, he immediately began to scream that someone with glowing eyes was in there with him. 
Now this is this screaming in D block. Um, it's, it's a thing. The 19th century spectral prisoner had become so much of a practical joke among the guards that the convicts cries of being attacked were ignored. The inmates screams continued well into the night when they were suddenly replaced with total silence. And the following morning when the guards inspected that cell, the convict was found dead with a terrible expression on his face and noticeable handprints around his throat. Mm. The autopsy revealed that the strangulation was not self-inflicted. Now at the time, many people believed that the inmate was strangled by a guard who had finally had enough of his screaming, but an investigation was made and no one ever admitted to the strangling. So most believed that the prisoner was killed by the restless evil spirit of the 19th century prisoner who was so often seen wandering the corridor. Okay. So while you were saying that, I looked that up. <laughs> there weren't air conditioners. I didn't. It, you know, it was just the ventilation system and the guards would open up and turn the fans on, okay. which are bringing the cold air. So that's quote unquote air conditioning. That was, that was Back air conditioning. But boy, okay. I, I just saw another story about forced feedings for inmates that went on hunger strike. Ooh. Okay, so the guy that was that died, yeah, the the prisoner that died, adding to the mystery, when the guards lined up the convicts for a daily count, this one's kind of creepy. One too many convicts were in the lineup. At the end of the row appeared the recently strangled convict, and as everyone, guards and prisoners alike, looked on in stunned silence, the ghostly figure vanished today's visitors and staff often report cold spots within the hallways of d block as well as sudden intense feelings we did feel that cold spots i, re yeah, I remember feeling that mm -hmm. that i will attest to cells 12 and 14 d are the most active cell 14 d is often reported to be almost 20 degrees colder than the rest of the cells on the block and numerous psychics have felt emotionally charged impressions in the corners of the cell where punished prisoners were known to have crouched and suffered. These cells are so eerie that it's said that some park rangers refuse to go in there alone. In cell block C, many believe that the utility passageway where convicts Bernard Coy, Joseph Kretzer, and Marvin Hubbard were killed during their escape attempt in 1946 is haunted. Loud clanging noises are often heard, but they stop when the door is opened, only to resume again once it's closed. Others have reported seeing the apparition of men wearing fatigues and hearing disembodied voices at the side of the riot that left three prisoners dead. The laundry room in cell block C is also said to hold an unseen presence. When a CBS News team brought in celebrity psychic Sylvia Brown, along with ex-convict Leon Thompson, Sylvia immediately encountered the unseen presence as well as a strong impression of violence in the laundry room. As she described a tall man with a bald head and small beady eyes, Leon Thompson, the ex-convict, moved forward stating, I remember Butcher. Butcher? He was a hitman with Murder Incorporated before they caught him. His name was A.B. Maldowitz, but we called him Butcher. Another prisoner killed him there in the laundry room. 
Prison records did confirm that Maldowitz was killed by another inmate in the laundry area of cell block C. Now in the old hospital ward, park personnel have often heard voices as well as the screams of inmates who were often secured to a table until they were calmed down. Voices are also heard in the old mess hall. And finally, when Al Capone was imprisoned at Alcatraz, you know, we got to end with a famous guy. He was assigned to a cell located on the outside west end of cell block B. And although he was never allowed a musical instrument or a radio, many have reported the sound of a phantom banjo strumming within his cell. And Al Capone is known to be a banjo player. Okay, but I didn't hear the banjo when we went by his cell. Well, maybe he didn't really play right But those cold spots, I do remember. Uh, Yeah, I remember you saying something about that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe old Al just didn't feel like playing when we were there. Hey. Yeah. This is not haunted, but you want to talk about creepy October? Absolutely. Okay. This is about... What did you find on Google? This is what happened when prisoners wouldn't eat. Also called force feeding, this involved forcing a rubber tube down the throat of a convict... On a hunger fast and forcing him to ingest a mixture of milk, sugar, and eggs. To do this, the staff would have to strap the inmate down very securely, open the mouth with a lever, and put the tube in a painful process for the inmate. The most notable instance of this happened in 1936 after several prisoners went on a hunger fast. Ten prisoners in all were made to take the tube on this occasion. During the 1950s, the Rock's Catholic priest had to intervene on behalf of a Puerto Rican prisoner who was fasting for Lent, so this wouldn't be oh, done to him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No wonder so people that, are that's, screaming in the that's hospital creepy block. stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what they're screaming about. Yeah, I would be too. Whew. Yeah. So there you go. Spookiness on the rock. It was. Next week, you want to tell me what we're covering next week? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's spooky October. Yeah, so for our Halloween episode, I don't know if we're going to do it next week. We might have one more coming out between. We're going to get caught up. We're going to do another one. But our granddaddy of them all, Eastern State, is going to be the most haunted prison in America. But next next episode, um, I think we're going to go more local. Yeah. Get back to to Ohio. Uh, So if you know... If you know, you know. That's my new favorite phrase. If you know, you know. Okay. So tune hint. in midweek. Little hint. It's probably too late to do it now, but you can book. Oh, yeah. And, it's spend, way too late the, now. and spend the night in this prison mm-hmm. on Halloween. I, I bet you can spend the night in Eastern State, too. I don't know. It's probably super expensive. But, but yep. So we'll have another episode. Um, because we've gotten a little bit behind, we're going to have another episode midweek for you. And then we'll have our... Eastern State out on Halloween on October 31st. Um, so you can listen to it as you're, maybe as you're passing out candy. Well, I don't have any trips scheduled for a while, so maybe we can get back onto our Saturdays. Yeah. Saturday, Sunday afternoon routine. Yeah. So we hope to have Eastern State released um, in time for you to play during trick or treat so you can really amp up the spook vibe. And uh, Alcatraz, you know, we go back, it is a very interesting prison with. Just all the history. I mean, the other yeah. prisons were built, and they were there. Alcatraz, being on the island, had a lot of history to it before the fun. prisons even took over. I mean, it's got a lot of personality. Yeah. yeah, you know, as prisons go, and it is a cool place. If you if you ever get a chance to go to San Francisco, mm-hmm. it's uh it's well worth the tour. And it wasn't to go expensive. Over there. No, it wasn't. 
Yeah. So it, it was well worth... One of the cheapest things to do in San Francisco. It was well worth the... If you go to San Francisco, it's very expensive to park. But a couple blocks up from Fisherman's Wharf... Well... There was, at the time... At the time. There was a union hall, and you could park there for like $10 a day versus... 50, yeah. 50 or 75 dollars down in the regular parking lots yeah so anyway. and like we said that was like 10 years ago so who knows yeah so anyway yes alcatraz, alcatraz. very very interesting story yeah a lot of history with that prison there is yeah so kim yeah what else we got um i think that's about it so uh we got some good stuff that we've been kicking around for ideas after Spooky October. If you've got any ideas that you stuff that you want us to cover, uh, shoot us an email, alosthour at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Honestly, I try to run most of the social media. I think you kind of cover the Facebook a little bit, but the best way to find us on socials is probably Instagram. Um, and definitely the best way to get a hold of us is through the email. Again, a lost hour at gmail.com. Yeah. And we really, I mean, we get messages, not as many messages on the, uh, the website through Podbean. Yeah. But we get, we get emails. We, we love it when you guys send us emails. Yeah. So we love that. And you know what? As we took our little break, the number of shows didn't decrease a whole lot. People, so thanks for listening. Yeah. People went back and they listened to old shows or yeah. hopefully you told people about an hour of your life and they started listening. Yeah. And if you ever write to us and you want a sticker, just include your address and we'll send you a sticker free charge. Absolutely. Anything else? I think that's it. Um, just be sure that you're staying safe. Flu season is upon us. In addition to COVID, uh, thoughts are with good friend of ours who is suffering from a singer who is suffering from COVID right now. So hopefully he gets feeling better soon and is uh, not done too much damage to himself. All right. So, from our studios, and I get to say it this time, <laughs> in uh, Sugar, Creek, Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. In addition to Steve's random Google search during the show, our sources this week include Wikipedia, Legends of America, NewsRepublic.com, BOP.gov, and AlcatrazHistory.com. And my random search was from AlcatrazTorture, notFrisco2.com. <laughs>